Hello, Henrietta. Hi, Jason. Welcome to season four of The Conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. Welcome back, Henrietta. Wow, we've been, we've taken a little, you know, a little, little hiatus. <laughs> we took a little late summer break. Yes, we did. And the season is, um, the season is back on, but that's relatively speaking, <laughs> because as we know, we're still living during pandemic time. Our world is still in turmoil. Our industry is also in turmoil. And, you know, our perspective has changed a bit since we've been covering uh, the industry over the course of the last, um, let's say, seven months or so. Things have changed. So, so for this episode, we are looking at the big issues that fashion is concerned with. We're going to, so this is a bit, this won't be a singular theme um, episode. This will be kind of like the highlights of fashion right now as we see it. Yeah, for, to kick off each season, I, I quite like that we go a bit existential and then we kind of hone in for the episodes that follow. <laughs> I guess it does take an existential tone um, uh, for our episodes in the in the past. And um, to that end, then, <laughs> let's talk about one area of this industry that is, is under such scrutiny and is under such upheavaling, and that is the retail, uh, that's the retail sector. And let's, let's focus on, let's say, the department stores. And as you know, Henrietta, the, the news about the department stores is that, for example, Neiman Marcus has has filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. I hear that they're 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 trying to get back into the black, or they had just done so recently. I don't know what to make of that, but essentially, essentially, and I'll I'll speak from my experience. You know, for about four months, I, as a lot of this audience know, I, um, in addition to to being uh, a brand consultant um, and other things, I am a personal stylist. That is like my my day-to-day job let's say for 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 wealthy people and so i am i'm on the front lines of consumption and certainly luxury consumption and um and for several months i was really on pause um i have since been back in the marketplace and it has really given me a great sense of what is going on in at retail and in department stores i've been at um nordstrom's i've been at Saks. i've been at bergdorf goodman in all of those stores over the course of the last three weeks to a month. And I have to tell you, Henrietta, these stores are empty. Um, there are there's no one in there. And my and for my conversation with the, the attendants in there is that yes, they're sending out things to the Hamptons for their private clients out there for them to try. Some of those are my private clients. Um, however, it's literally at a 25% of what usual business is. So there has really been a, a decimation of business from my own personal um sort of uh, viewing. At the department store, the streets, <laughs> I'm walking down Fifth Avenue, I'm literally riding my bicycle in the middle of the road because there's no traffic. Wow. There, are no tor- there are no tourists, Henrietta. And I think that's something that haven't been spoken about. We're also concerned with like, you know, the state of our, of our families who are, you know, in the, in the regions that we're in. And we're just concerned about, you know, not contracting COVID and all those sort of things. Um, however, there hasn't been as much talk about how much tourism boosts 
the economy um, um, of a city like New York. And I can only speak of New York because I have not left the city in eight months now. So this is what this is where I know. And there are no tourists here. There are simply, simply no tourists here. I have to say, you know, going back to what's happening at retail, I'm not, I, I haven't been shopping to the extent that I I've certainly have been in, in prior times. And the things that I am shopping for are uh, essentially lounging at home wear. So sort of luxurious lounge wear um, for the home. And I've been going deep on heavily discounted items that it that poses an opportunity for these clients to consume. So I have I've bought my fair share of you know formerly eight thousand ten thousand dollar gowns that are now two to three thousand dollars. So you know as the very wealthy are you know they know when an opportunity arises and they are uh, capitalized and to to take advantage of those times and that goes for clothing as well so that's what's been going on with me i can't speak for mass retail i can't speak for what's going on at the coles and the h&ms of the world i'm at this time because i have not been out there to really do that market research but certainly for the luxury consumption as it pertains to my demographic who are are essentially, you know, Gen Xers, baby boomers, and a bit of, you know, uh, and a bit of the the younger generation. That's the audience that I can speak to at this time, and I hope that gives you a, a sense of um of how they're consuming. Yeah, I mean, none of that surprises me in terms of, you know, the streets being empty, the lack of tourism, the lack of sort of energy within the multi retailer space. Um, those prices, though, are really wild because even though I do understand the significant discount from, let's say, an $8,000 gown to becoming $2,000, it really is astounding to really think about the pandemic and how, while everyone's sort of mentality has shifted and, you know, people are sort of tightening their belts and shopping less, et cetera, it's really mind-boggling to think that the rich really haven't been impacted in much of a significant way when you look at how luxury is performing and when you look at even the idea of buying a $2,000 gown while it's heavily discounted, it's still $2,000, which is like literally the, the cost of some people's rent. And I think that's what's interesting is that's where sort of my mind wanders when you're, even when you're talking about something like retail, shopping habits, tourism, my sort of mind shifts to the sort of realities of real people's lives and the disparity between, let's say, people who are sort of struggling to make it versus people that are sort of excited about a $2,000 find. So it's, it's, it's really interesting, but nothing that you're saying is surprising me. Discounts are rife. I mean, brands, designers, and retailers are launching collections and newness with discounts. I think as much as you can do to get anyone into the door um, and anyone interested, I think everyone's pulling on every leather especially with the multi-retailer sort of dynamic, because I think a lot of people are also thinking about how to save businesses, how to support fashion, smaller businesses, independent businesses, independent designers. So I think there's more of an appetite to go direct. There's more of an appetite to shop on e-com sites, get it directly from the merchant. There is more of an appetite for visiting these independent stores or the brand or designer directly. So we were talking about this sort of a while ago, but I really do wonder what the role of the multi-retailer is. Um, and interestingly enough, it's sort of the Barneys and the opening ceremonies, the, the sort of more kind of niche multi-retailers who created brands 
those are the ones that are sort of going out of business, which is understandable. But I think the multi-retailers that have scale and multiple locations and really large uh, investments in real estate and really large spaces to fill and really large overhead, I just can't help but wonder like what the future is because it just seems so much lower, I guess, on the totem pole, on the priority uh, list for customers and people that are actually really consuming. Um, that said, I'm also not an affluent person um, or a person that has like a boatload of money. So I can also understand the, you know, a Neiman's, you know, a Saks, and it has everything for you. So maybe there is less of an interest to, you know, support brands and designers directly and go to where you know and go to where you know you can find everything in one space. So I'll give some sort of credence to that. But yeah, everything that you're saying is absolutely not a surprise. And I think that I'm really interested to see actually where multi-retailers go because they're essentially going to have to start functioning like brands to give them a bit more of a unique proposition so that people actually visit them. Well, that <clears throat> that's the that's that's the point, Henrietta. I, I think you know what I just laid out is essentially where things are. But the big question is where are things going? From my perspective, you know, I feel that my my clientele is out there. They're open to you know they're in the Hamptons. They have time on their hands. They're on their you know their their phones and they're open to suggestions. I really feel that you can still again. I'm speaking to. Um, to the luxury clientele, but you don't have to be a a billionaire, let's say, as some of my clients are, to to participate in this. I think this is, you know, the luxury uh, target, the luxury market target is for your your affluent, your average affluent and above. So I during this time, I think you can definitely reach them because the money has to go somewhere. As they're taking advantage of this time for investment opportunities, expanding their investment portfolios in different sectors from real estate, you know, to to steel or what what whatever is their is their want. Um, they're also looking at investing at getting a, a good deal on um on getting a good deal on clothing. Um, so yes, they're they're definitely, definitely focused on taking advantage of those opportunities um, right now. But going forward, going forward, how are you going to have them essentially, you know, click their iPhone and say yes to that suggestion that you sent, you know, via text? Like you really have to, there's still a seduction process. There's still a customer service, you know, a process that's required out there. There's still a sort of fantasy you know, process that needs to be replicated that's no longer um, uh, achieved in a store environment because they're no longer there. So that fantasy, that service, that whatever that looks like, I think stores, department stores have to figure that out to seduce this client once again um, to part with their funds in a regular way. They're parting with their funds. Yes, they can pick up this here and there. That is not a problem, Henrietta. But to be able to forecast what they will buy season in and season out, that is the, you know, that's ultimately the holy grail for any retailer, understanding your client base and servicing them season in, season out. Um, And I think right now, none of them can say what that matrix looks like yeah i agree i absolutely agree well let's let's move on from um retail that's the that's the the retail landscape as we see it now and as we look to um to a forecast 
I have been really, and I know we have um, we have spoken about this on this podcast, not in a full podcast, but in terms of the media, in terms of fashion media primarily, the, the culture of fashion media. I have been harping on this point that while this industry is in such flux, <laughs> why is 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 in such um, tumult? There is. And while and it continues to be such an important multi-billion-dollar global industry that literally impacts most crevices of this planet, it is hugely important. As much criticism as we have about our, you know, our fashion industry, we're very much aware that the, you know, the impact of this industry is so much farther and wider. However, in terms of fashion, in terms of where it's going, we have, it seems to be just dwindling more and more, and that being uh, that being fashion critics, critical thought in fashion. For the last decade, we have been in such a space of advertorial, of advertising, and, you know, sort of like collusion marketing surrounding brands and, and media, that we have reached a place of such inauthenticity that while we're in a, in a place right now that the industry... Uh, requires real analysis, like a real sort of come to Jesus moment, if you will. The critics aren't there. The you know the experienced followers of this business over the last decade or two are not there to try to qualify what's going on. And I find this to be a huge problem, um, Henrietta. I, I maybe I, I, I find this to be a huge issue. I think I'm bringing it, bringing it to this discussion because. I, I continue to see that this industry is completely lost, but they have nowhere to turn. We have the business of fashion. We have a critic like Vanessa Friedman, who has really emerged as a, as I feel, a voice of this um, of this generation. You don't always agree. We speak about Robin Givhan, um, oftentimes in this in this business, and they're in the narrow lane of fashion criticism. I want fashion criticism with a real expanded cultural view. Like this industry really requires requires some um, um, uh, just greater oversight. And I think as deeper that we get into trouble, we feel less secure in who can help to talk us out of this or help to at least have those discussions as we hopefully will get out of this. Absolutely. I do know that you've been talking about this for a really long time. Um, and actually, I will correct you and say we did do an episode on this where we basically uh, posed the question, uh, sort of where is fashion journalism sort of, you know, Here. what happened to that? And And you have been very much along these lines. And I think what's been really evident now, I think, as almost the world has sort of cracked open, is the real uh, sort of extensive need for critical thought and and really thorough critique and journalism. So I think I sort of share a lot of your sentiment now because I think now there's so much to dissect and look at and apply critical thinking and so many questions to not just answer, but to really explore through the medium of, of critique and journalism. So I definitely agree. I think what's been interesting have been the voices that have emerged. I think we've really leaned on really sort of Incredible, like veteran writers like Vanessa Friedman, who you mentioned, like Robin Givhan, the Tim Blanks. Um, I find that their stories are very much shared and cited and engaged with so much more now, I think, in this pandemic and in this racial sort of reckoning. Um, 
because there really is that need for credibility. And I think there is that, you know, we're, we're gravitating towards the, uh, the people that were, were doing it before. Um, but that said, I do think that fa- fashion's in a really fragile place. And so while that isn't an excuse, I do feel like there is a sort of tread lightly mentality because uh, fashion journalism and advertising and brand budgets and the power structures in fashion, they're also closely interlinked that I think we are in a bit of a tread lightly because you really, I think it's really hard to ask the hard questions without essentially indicting a lot of the power players. I mean, when you look at, for instance, the racial reckoning or the sustainability conversation, a lot of the people that we would really be looking to, you know, why is this happening? You know, what went wrong? Where should we go from here? You know, a lot of the kind of critical questions would require a bit of a fallout and it would require us to sort of look at people and really question certain motives and strategies and blueprints that have been created. And I think that it is a bit of a murky territory. And so I think as this sort of space is is kind of burgeoning in many ways, I think there is a bit of a tread lightly mentality um, so that almost everyone like keeps their jobs and their platforms essentially. Um, and I really do think that that is where we are, like for right or for wrong. Well, I think that's a key observation in that at this critical time, um, you have voices or you have a lack of voices to weigh in. I do think that that is very much a careered move. I think we've definitely seen a rise in like independent critiques who are saying what it is. They're saying, you know, so-and-so you don't, you, you know, you're not a real feminist. You're just trading on X or so-and-so. This isn't a real thing. You're just commoditizing the idea of X, you know? So I think from a sort of more fringe or like niche or independent or whatever you want to call it, there is an absolute influx of independent critique. They just don't necessarily have those platforms like like hold the weight that the industry really recognizes. They're these kind of very independent platforms that yes, have a lot of viewership, have a significant following, but it is very much written off as like, well, everyone has an opinion, you know, everyone is a critic, but we're really well, looking at more sort of careered people. Everyone will gather to see what a Vanessa Friedman has to say or a Robin Given has to say. But I think the person that's really sort of like saying it tends to be the independents. And right, and I, I I was going to to raise that point in in the next the next big issue being that of social and cultural responsibility, and that has been largely led by independent critics and outliers and people you know largely let's say out of the the system. But let's focus in on you know and uh, we all have you know if you haven't been living under a rock clearly and we certainly have been discussing it here everything from equity in the the black community and uh, across industries and certainly um, fashion sustainability certainly has continued as a as a dominant um, theme in this time and will continue to go uh, to be so going forward. But essentially social and cultural responsibilities for and proficiency. For for, for a host of um for the industry mm-hmm. is under is under scrutiny um essentially but I, is that I, 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 
That's kind well, of my point. Enough, okay. Well, you know what? You actually you asked that question, and you know what I was going to say before before like you interjected <laughs> that. I was going to say I think that there may be an issues fatigue. So th- th- that shows you how polar opposite we really are. In one way, you're being cynical by saying, "Is it really?" But this is what <laughs> is I'm it saying. Really on the table. This is what I'm saying. I'm, <laughs> the lens of the idea that what I said was cynical. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, I definitely said it in a cynical tone, but I think that is the almost the war on... Crit- oh my God, I sound like Trump. The war on critical thought is that you're just being negative. You're being sarcastic. You're being... But, and, and I think the idea of critical thought is you might not feel comfortable or like what is being asked, but it has to be asked. And I think that's the whole thing of like, even the idea of like, are we really, really scrutinizing what is wrong with the industry and excavating all of it and moving forward in a meaningful way. That's not a negative thing. I mean, it definitely has a negative impact on some people and could be uncomfortable, but the, but the question in and of itself isn't a bad thing. And I think that's what I'm saying. Like, that's where we are. And I think that the fashion independents who play like they have nothing to lose are the ones really asking the questions. They just don't necessarily have the forum, the platform to really elevate their voices in a way that like, let's say a career or story journalist might, but they're not going to ask the questions. I think not necessarily for fear of being perceived, but you know, there, there is a relationship element that is so connected to money. So that's really sort of what I'm sort of talking about, because I think if we really were scrutinizing sort of social, personal, corporate responsibility as it pertains to sustainability, uh, racial equity, and the like, I think we would just be asking very different questions. Well, I, I, I find it interesting that you have essentially created a, a divide <laughs> between the in, independent players. And you know that divide has been discussed in this forum as well, that divide about independent players and their ability to essentially sound the horn. And, um, and on the other side, let's say the, the, the established players or the players that are part of the system and their ability to maybe um, impact change or not from the from the inside and or rather perceived change from the inside like it's clear that there is a there's a discussion between um those two camps or rather a divide between those two camps in your analysis of what's going on out there in this in this fight for in this fight for social um for social justice totally and it's not always a negative it could also be the difference between you know what it is to work within the establishment what it is to work outside the establishment which we've spoken about, you know, incrementalism versus uh, revolution, you know, reform versus burning everything down and like rebuilding in a more egalitarian image. So I think that it it also could just be a difference in approach. But what I found with independent uh, journalism, independent critique, independent thought has been more so the real questions, the bigger questions, the more existential questions. I mean, in the sort of more independent sort of fashion space, we're really talking about, you know, ideas about like, where is the power? How's the power playing out? There are concerns. One of my questions is what is, what is actually changing? You know, is blackness being commoditized, right? But the same people, the same power players stand to benefit 
are the same people that benefited from our absence now benefiting from our blackness? You know, are the power players that are benefiting from our blackness now the same people that systemically left us out? I think that those are the questions that are really being looked at in more independent spaces or more peripheral spaces and not necessarily questions that are being presented sort of forward facing from an establishment lens. Well, while you, since you brought up that point, I mean, we can't overlook the fact that there has been, you know, so much blackness over the last two months. Everything is black. On the, on the cover of all the, of all the magazines, um, the editorials and the advertising, you're seeing, you know, black faces that are representing the brands and everything, everything has really been blackwashed. Um, let's, uh, let's say, what are, what are your thoughts about, about that? Are you feeling that there's a, there's an inauthentic? inauthentic inauthenticism um to to this to this black blackness that's going on um that's the, is that is that the energy that i'm feeling from you and like everything um i think it's a spectrum i think that there is obviously a, a huge commoditization of this moment and there are people and brands and designers who are very much like i need to trade off this energy and reading the room and being like we need to get on this and it is maybe more disingenuous and inauthentic. And then there are people that are doing really great work and there are people that are a mix of both and there are people that are indifferent. They're just like, give the people what they want. So I think like all things, it's a spectrum. Um, I think everything, I think the, the, the sort of wave of blackness, I think is a beautiful thing. I think it's a positive thing. I think it's definitely a move in the right direction. I just don't think it's the whole thing because I think what has been very different about this time and this moment of reckoning is that there is a real call and need for a power shift, a power dynamic shift. And so as much as we're celebrating all of this blackness um, and, you know, a shift in optics and a willingness to talk about race in fashion like we've never seen before, you know, and certain strategic advancements and placements, I'm really focused and almost transfixed on the power structures. Like if those, if that is not changing, then are we, then is it a commoditization of, of a movement, right? If we're not really letting the people ascend to actually change the power structures, because ultimately the way that I see it as of now, which, you know, you could argue we're still quite early on in this movement within fashion is the power players, the people, the heads of the, at the publishing houses, the really, really powerful editors, the really, really powerful business people, they're still exactly the same. And so that to me is really where change will happen. And so while I think it's already beautiful and really wonderful and creative and like everyone's seeing a more sort of diverse and a more sort of broader idea of blackness and, and the breadth of who we are as a people, I just, I'm less um, appeased by like symbolic gestures. Well, what about, As someone who works in well, marketing and understands how this whole world works, you know, you could argue that there's a lot of symbolism, whereas I'm actually looking for like real uh, power. But, but, but Henrietta, what about, what about um, the balance of um, time and, um, uh, you know, what about the, the and, and, and action? What about, you know, what about thinking about actually w giving, allotting some time for things to, 
sort of take hold or unfold or for that understanding. And I'm not talking about panel discussions. I'm just talking about the mechanics of implementation. Is there is there room for that in your view? Like, you know, should we be, because um, that also has become a part of the discussion in this business about, you know, moving quickly or or taking time. Like that that has really emerged as a, as a, as a proper, proper discussion. And yeah, people are on different sides of the coin on, the, on this on this issue. But does that not play? Does that not figure in into uh, the timeline for seeing the changes that you envision and and for the, and the, 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 the that the industry envisions? Absolutely, absolutely. I haven't I haven't said anything definitive about a timeline. I'm just saying that I'm more mindful. I'm sort of letting you know what my focus is really uh, sort of grasp on my focus is on I am keeping my eye on the power structure because I understand marketing and how things could work in waves and trends and how things can lean deeper into sort of so- social sort of cultural movements like that that's what marketing is that really is what it is it's you know to give the people what they want tap into what's happening right now on the ground you know while it's obviously steeped in a ton of meaning and this really is an important social justice movement and social cause of like racial equity um there's also a lot about this which is essentially the machinations of like how marketing works right so my whole thing is that i'm really just reinforcing that i'm focused on the power dynamics and how those structures shift and reorganize around racial equity and so for me you know, the, the the thing isn't done until that changes. So while I'm really excited about all the things and all the people doing all the things, and I think it's really beautiful and valid and really wonderful, I'm also wanting it to penetrate, to change the dynamics of the people uh, who are in power and who are standing to benefit from all of this blackness. Um, in terms of a timeline, I could absolutely give grace for the fact that it needs to happen over a, over a period of time. Um, so yeah, a lot remains to be seen for sure. And I don't know what that looks like, but I think that is, that's, that's the aim. That's the goal as far well, as I'm let, concerned. Well, let's move, let's move away from the marketing within this, you know, cultural uh, responsibility say, movement. And let's, let's, let's have the marketing conversation in communication, general communication in fashion. And, uh, you know, we're just on the end of uh, the fashion weeks here that, that showed in the city primarily. Uh, well, not primarily. There were digital fashion weeks. And in Paris and in Milan, there were physical, there were physical shows. Um, it, it, this is heavily discussed as well as to going forward, are a, was you know were these fashion weeks effective the the virtual ones did people tune in will they impact sales will you know is it this is it is it enough of an experience you know to sell that fantasy that the physical show uh, 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 typically does and for those physical shows is enough of attendance there um, for it to be worthwhile for um, for the putting on of those shows for buyers to attend for editors to attend and and subsequently brought broadcast that uh that information and likewise in uh, just in uh, in other forms we have to talk about influencers and how they're communicating the messages for the for the brand during this time what is working and what will work going forward you know we're coming up on holiday and usually that is the you know the 
fourth quarter is the most discussed period. It's where often a lot of brands can make up to 75% of their earnings for that year and so forth. But it doesn't have the same kind of confidence as to how they're going to uh, how brands are going to market to their consumers. Well, obviously the confidence, the lack of confidence is there because you don't know uh, how consumers are consuming. But I think that there is a there's an issue with how um, uh, what kind of messaging uh, they are consuming and where they go for that the messaging, visual and otherwise. And so let's talk about these. Let's talk about these fashion shows because from my perspective, I felt that you know it was fashion was being stubborn, particularly as a as it pertains to the physical mm. shows, which there seem to have been many, I thought fashion was being incredibly stubborn and they were just pushing forward a format, a format that they know that they're like, this is this is what we know and God damn it, this is what you want and we're going we're gonna to give this to you. I appreciate it. Not that I tuned in, I have to express, not that I tuned into many of the virtual uh, shows, but I just felt that it was okay to take a beat this season. I didn't need to see, you know, um, uh, a group of models um, sort of feigning uh, uh, social distancing and mask wearing. Some of the masks I saw were like literally like chiffon <laughs> uh, masks that were, that were flying around. I was just like, what? No, no, no. Let's, let's come on, fashion. Come on, fashion. So I, 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 I just wanted, I thought it was a time for the industry to take a beat. But of course, we understand that the implications are greater. I understand the implications are greater. You know, taking a beat could mean taking a beating of like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars because a show, even in its limited broadcast, can still capture eyeballs and uh, and influence desirability and, and subsequently purchases. So um, wh- what were your impressions? Um, I think... In terms of the physical shows, uh, most of which happened in sort of Milan and Paris, it begged a lot more questions for me than anything else. Like, you know, who are shows really for? You know, what is the expense of having a COVID? Can you be COVID friendly? A COVID um, safe environment? You know, there are cost implications to that. There are health implications to that. Um, the vice presidential debate actually just happened last night. And there was a lot of talk beforehand around why does it need to be a physical event? Is it really worth, even with all of the precautions, is it really worth the risk of spread? Like we know that masks work, but they're not foolproof. We know that social distancing works, but it's not foolproof. Is it worth putting yourself in those situations when there are virtual alternatives? And I think that I had a lot of those questions around Fashion Week, particularly Paris Fashion Week, which really hosted the most shows, given that France are really kind of in this increasing state of almost emergency with, you know, the rate of cases and infections going up. So for me, it was almost a bit like, what is this for? Who is this for? And could this be an opportunity to be more creative, to create an experience that isn't just safe, um, but is also maybe a bit more democratic, seeing as that has been one of the biggest themes of fashion. Because, you know, a lot of these shows were filmed anyway to go out to the buyers and the influencers and all the people that couldn't be there and were streaming as part of a marketing program or influencer program or 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 whatever. But I just wonder if if there was, to your point of stubbornness, more of an opportunity to just think more creatively about alternative solutions that just would just be more democratic and safer. 
Um, and then there was a large sort of virtual component, which I thought was really effective. I really did. And I think that we were already at a sort of decline point in terms of the sentiment around Fashion Week. And is Fashion Week necessary? Does Fashion Week work? Is Fashion Week sustainable? And I think actually a lot of brands did actually use this as an opportunity to think more creatively about how they present their work, how they present collections in a way that is both desirable, like you want to buy it, but also makes you think more about the brand, what they represent, what the brand is actually trying to speak to its audience about in terms of their point of view, their cultural standing, etc. So those were thoughts of the, those were the things that I was thinking about more so. I don't know that I have a definitive answer about which approach was more successful. Uh, well, I do think the virtual fashion weeks were quite successful, but I don't know that I have a definitive response about the merits of doing the show versus not doing the show, because I know there's just so many more things at play, including like a status thing of like having a show and what that means for a brand. Well, I am, I'm definitely watching um, that space. I have, you know, I have sort of largely lost interest in getting my fashion information via a fashion show. Um, so for me, it, it, it can, it can go away. It can definitely, definitely go away, but I, I haven't, I haven't seen a, a, a proper substitution, let's say, at least that is engaging to me, but I, I'm not the, I'm not the best, well, you know, litmus test here well, at all. Um, well, one of the things I'm interested in, sorry to interject, is to the point of um, your customers, right? Because I thought one of the things that were really effective from an influencer standpoint from what I saw was the way that brands were able to kind of customize these experiences that influencers can interpret on their own, in their own time, through their own sort of perspective, right? I wonder if, because I know a lot of the luxury brands like fly in big clients and they do all sorts of programming and gifting around showtime for their sort of high net worth customers. That was something that I was thinking would be amazing for like these sort of really rich shoppers. These ideas of, okay, we're going to like send you mini samples. We're going to send you personalized, you know, we're going to use AR and like, you know, you can use your phone as if you're really here or like, here's a personalized book for you to explore, not just the collection, but the thinking and theory behind it. Like I would have thought that was actually almost a more conducive way of capturing a shopper's attention. Obviously the sort of hoopla of like, you know, being in Paris or Milan or New York or London and sitting front row and being with cool people and going to a dinner and a cool after party, all of those things make people feel really special. But, you know, in in the midst of a pandemic, I would have thought that those sort of more personal tactics actually would have made you really think, oh my God, I love this brand. Oh my God, I love these pieces. Let me absolutely pre-order or let me get on this. So do you not think that there was an effectiveness there knowing that you obviously work so closely with these like really affluent shoppers? Well, um, I, I think the the hope would be that it would it would reach this audience, and I I, I can't say that it it didn't. I, I'm speaking for myself and sort of my community and how we um um we consumed or didn't uh, this kind of content. I, I I'm not I'm not knocking it by any means, but I haven't embraced it. Is 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 really my point? But I think that you have brought our conversation 
full circle in that when we were speaking about retail, I mentioned that going forward, specializing uh, and um, it's almost concierging for these uh, for these clients, especially your, the high net worth clients who comprise your, most of you know essentially the highest percentage of your of your uh, income or your revenues. That this is customizing for them, making them feel special, putting the products in in their hands, um, bringing an experience to them, as you just mentioned. Yes. That is, I think that that definitely is a forecast on how that space continue to excite their target and consuming audience. Mm-hmm. So, Henrietta, I think on that note, I think we hit some key, the key themes in our estimation in fashion, and we could run them down. We have retail, we have media, we have uh, the social and cultural responsibility, and we have essentially marketing and communication in fashion and culture. Well, Henrietta, that was um that was great. I feel I feel invigorated just like just sort of, you know, brush stroking over these key themes in fashion and I I, I you know, I, we're living in a in a time of uncertainty and I know that that uncertainty will continue for the near term and um I'm prepared for that and I'm prepared to continue to have these kind of conversation to get a grasp on what is going on as fleeting as that may feel sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I hear. I think, you know, I think that what's going to be interesting about this season specifically is that we have more questions than we have almost answers or opinions. And so that will be interesting to tackle, I think. So, yeah. I agree. Okay, we will catch you on the next episode. Okay, bye. Bye. Time for something